Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 12, titled, The Distraction of Riches. Good morning and welcome. How's everybody doing? Okay. Got a Bible with you or on your phone? We're in Luke chapter 12, working our way through the book of Luke. We're now over two years doing that, and uh, it's been good. Uh, it's going to continue to be good. And taking it verse by verse, seeing what God has for us. Remember, all the Word of God for all the people of God, because sermonettes from preacherettes create Christianettes. We're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to let God uh, teach us everything He has. And so Jesus is speaking here. Like I said, beginning in chapter 12, or pretty much chapter 11 also, but if you've got a red-letter edition, you'll notice you start, start chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, almost all red letters. So this is the university of Jesus, if you will. Uh, just in the sense of context, this is really uh, chapter 9 on is the last five, six months of Jesus' earthly ministry. So all this is compacted together. And some of these teachings you'll read in other places that he taught at different times. This is all in, in Judea. He's all in the south part of the country. But you'll find him teaching other things, similar things at other times. Why? Because he has to repeat himself. Because why? Because we're too thick, right? How many times you need to read the Bible? Till you die, because you'll never, you need to keep going over it. You need to keep putting it in there, because not all of it sticks. And so uh, we're no better, no, no worse than the disciples. And so we're, we're going to be here. We've been, if you've been with us here in chapter uh, 12, you notice that Jesus has uh, literally gathered a multitude, a countless multitude around himself. And he speaks very softly, very, very soberly, I mean, to, to these people. And he's going to give them two warnings. There's two major headings in this chapter. One is a warning against false teaching. That's where we've been for the past three Sundays together, talking about the, the, the uh, ex, greatest existential threat on the planet. That's false teaching. A teaching that tells you some other way to eternal life, to eternal bliss, to heaven, to whatever you want to call it, other than Jesus Christ. And there are literally billions today that fall into those kind of teachings. It is a serious threat. So, so, so they make you feel comfortable, right? They make you feel good about your life. Uh, maybe you prosper underneath their teachings to a certain degree. They teach you morals. There's a lot of those religions out there. More moral standards and other things that you feel better about yourself because it's better to be moral than immoral. But, but as soon as you die, you spend an eternity away from God. What have they done for you? Well, that's why Jesus says, beware, as we see here in verse 1, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Again, it, it comes under different names. It changes like it's like a virus. Changes it. It, uh, it becomes something different. It has a new variant all the time. Change the name, but the simple solution is they're teaching something that's hypocritical, claiming to go to heaven, but they're not. They claim to know God, but they do not. They claim to teach the truth, but they don't. It's hypocrisy. So the greatest existential threat is that, and then Jesus is going to talk about the next greatest existential threat, all the way down in verse 15. Take a look. The next breakover point. Now he says, you know, number one is this leaven of the Pharisees, this false teaching. Number two, beware, second beware, and on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Do you consider greed to be an existential threat? I mean, how, how, how many have you tried witnessing to people in this world? Tell you what, the most often you get, number one, they already believe something else. Whether it's atheism or Mormonism or some ism 
or they've, they've concocted their own recipe, this, like I said, the, the buffet-style religion, a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Mormonism, a little bit, you know, they all get it on a tray, they slice it up the way they want to, and that's what they're, that's what they're feeding on. Or whatever it is, it's so that's, that's the majority of the people you talk to have that kind of position. The other position is you can't talk to them at all because they're distracted by riches. Interesting. So the two things that Jesus says to be aware of are the two biggest things you have a problem with. The greatest obstacles you have in testifying to somebody is either a problem with false teaching or the distraction of witness of riches. So, so it's either the deadly virus of false teaching or it's the distraction of following after things that we can get in this life. Remember the, the story of the soils, the parable of the soils? Jesus gives us four soils. Three of the four, if you were with us, three of the four are unsaved. Only one bears fruit. The first one is just stony heart. The seed bounces right off, the, the good seed of the word bounces right off their hearts, and the devil comes and steals it away, Jesus tells us there. The, the second one is, is uh, among rocky soil. It doesn't have roots, and they, even though they respond with emotionalism, there's no real commitment. They're committing themselves to their version of Jesus, if you will. The version of Jesus, your version of Jesus won't save you. I don't know if you know that or not. The version of Jesus will. But if you come up with a Jesus that's going to make you more wealthy or make you more healthy or make you this or make you that and who bows to all your needs and does whatever you want him to do, I'm telling you that Jesus doesn't exist. He doesn't offer you salvation. So, so that's the second group. And then the third group, remember what they were? They were the ones among the thorns. Here's how Jesus describes that one, the seed sown in a heart, a thorny heart, heart, if you will. Here's what it says. The one whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man, or not to be sexist, women too, who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Will really people exchange wealth for their eternal soul? You bet they will. You bet they will. Second greatest existential threat in the world today is deceitfulness of wealth. And I want to speak to you about that today. That's our topic today. Jesus, of course, is not picking realms, if you will, out of uh, thin air. He's actually, there's only two realms, material and immaterial. So he's spoken to us about the immaterial. We, we have the false teachers. That's the immaterial, the religious world. That's a great threat, false teaching. And now there's only one other realm. That's the material world. And what's the problem with the material world? The materials, Right? It's the stuff and our hearts that long for it. We want it. makes us feel good. But we have to keep getting more and more of it. And Jesus is going to give us an illustration of that here in just a second. They can be described, these two realms, separately, but they rarely ever exist separately. They rarely do. In other words, you show me somebody who is uh, teaching you false doctrines, and I will also show you somebody who is after your pocketbook. See, there's immaterial material it's hard to separate them not a better example than the pharisees who by the way killed the son of god remember with all their religion all their claims to god and the the old testament in their hands they kill the son of god how off can you possibly be they weren't just involved in spiritual deception they were also involved in material deception notice what it says here jesus well this is a commentary from luke about well, how these guys operate now the pharisees who were lovers of money no shock they said, most of the, not every case, but almost every case, you show you somebody who's teaching you false religion, and I will show you somebody who's trying to pick your pocket. Almost inevitably. We can talk about them separately, but they hardly ever are separate. So how distracting is riches? It's, it's interesting. There's, there's, a, there's, 
There's a secret part of me. I have another pastor here, by the way. There's a secret part of, of us public speakers who um, are comforted in some ways by this story. I'll see if you are, brother. I don't know if I can speak for you or not, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it since you can't speak. So there you go. Hey, Verse 13, notice. So, so Jesus is, if you will, waxing eloquent about the, the things of the truth, soberly speaking to them. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware to honor God for who he is. A great Trinitarian passage here. Father, who you need to fear because he can throw you to hell. Son, who you need to confess. Or, or hell's the result if you don't. The Holy Spirit, who you have to listen to. And if you're not willing to hear him, you commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is also equals hell. So anyone of, of the Trinity can send you to hell. You, you can't miss this at all. So Jesus is waxing eloquent, amazing passage on the Trinity and on, on uh, false teaching. And uh, this knucklehead cannot wait, verse 13, for Jesus to, to just pause so that he can break in with important stuff. Look, look, at what, look what happens here. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said, he, in the middle of all that, he just says, let's read verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour. Watch it. So incredibly deep doctrine stuff. I mean, just life stuff, real stuff. Jesus is just, just coming, uh, uh, hitting this great. And, and uh, notice what happens there in verse 13. Someone in the crowd says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. What? Like I said, there's something comforting for public speakers, preachers like myself and my friend here. Not even Jesus could keep everybody's attention. Brother, I, you know. If Jesus couldn't, I mean, you know, let, give your, cut yourself some slack. Cut yourself some slack. This guy, can, can you, forgive me, what an idiot. This guy is a blithering idiot. Jesus is speaking on such incredible doctrine, such incredible life-altering, eternity-changing issues. And this guy can't wait till Jesus takes a pause so that he can make sure his brother gives him his inheritance. How distracting is riches? Hear me on this. They're so distracting that even though the Son of God is speaking to you directly, you can't hear Him. That is distracting. I, I, you can't beat that. Show me something in the world that's any more distracting than that. This, it's an amazing story. It's a, like I said, the guy is, is, in my opinion, forgive the term, idiot. But uh, I find myself uh, somewhat in his story. I can see that. Strangely satisfying, like I said, but strangely disturbing at the same time. Second only, listen, to false teaching is the distraction of riches and its potency to send someone to hell. Second only to the, false, the, 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 the travesty of false teaching and its potency to send someone to hell is the distraction of riches. It just is. There you have it. Jesus got the biggest, one of the biggest crowds that ever gathers around him. He's certainly going to say the most important things he would ever say. You got the, whole, you got the ears and eyes of, of thousands of people stepping on top of each other, it says there in verse 1. What's he going to do? Let me tell you a story about my friend. He, I mean, he does tell stories. But man, he hits two major topics. Here's what you need to hear. If I never see you again, and I probably won't, hear me on these things. 
So he speaks of these two distractions. One is the false teaching, and of course the other one is the material distraction. Second only to false teaching is the potency to send someone to hell of this distraction of riches. Leveraging is what this guy does. He leverages Jesus. We have a, this is, a, by the way, a profession today. A lot of people supposedly teaching the Bible, supposedly teaching the truth, use their position, or I should say, they use the position of Jesus to leverage. Watch what this guy does. So he leverages Jesus, doesn't he? He takes, the, he takes the authority of Jesus, and he uses the opportunity. So Jesus is this public person. Jesus is, at this point, the most, the most powerful person there. He's, he's more important, at least in the eyes of the crowd. He, he's more powerful than, than the Pharisees and the Sadducees than anybody. It, this guy sees an opportunity, right? How am I, he, By the way, why would he say, tell my brother to give me the riches if the brother wasn't standing there? So he says, hey, let's go listen to Jesus. But all the while he's thinking, buddy, when I get you there, I'm going to have you under the eyes and ears of everybody there, and then Jesus is going to tell you what, he's going to set you straight. He doesn't care what Jesus is teaching. He just cares about the power that Jesus has, and so he leverages that to get what he wants. So what does he really want? The things that Jesus has given away? No. Just wants his stuff. People do the same thing today. We've got a lot of preachers on television. We've got a lot of preachers on the internet who leverage Jesus. They use his name. They use his book. The bottom line is, guys, they're just trying to get what they want, to spend it on their evil desires. Am I telling you anything you don't know? No, you know that. We've, we've been around this. We've been around it a lot. We've seen it. They leverage Jesus. Tell my brother, notice, he's not asking Jesus. He's telling Jesus. He's taking authority over Jesus. Wow. How distracting. How deceiving are riches. It's an amazing story. An amazing story. So, so what happens here is Jesus begins to speak to him about, about, his, about his circumstances. He begins to speak to him about the situation and begins, he's going to give a parable here. We're going to read it here in just a second. But first of all, he, he, calls, he calls it what it is, and we've already read it, but let's look at it again. Verse 15, beware. He uses this opportunity. First of all, he says, verse 14, man. That's basically saying, dude. It's like a, a term of, like a, there's a term of endearment. This is the opposite of that. I don't know you. That's pretty sad. The Son of God says, back off. Dude, who appointed me judge or arbiter over you? By the way, do you know the answer to that question? God. Yeah, he happens to be God. Then what makes you think you can leverage me in this circumstance? And the guy says, beware. He goes on. Jesus uses this opportunity as a teaching point. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Or some of your, some of your translations say covetousness. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. The word covetousness there, the word greed, is where we, it's, well, the Greek, the Greek word is the word euphoreo, where we get the word euphoria from. It's, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to get to that one. Hold that, hold that thought. I'm, I'm mixing up my Greek here. Actually, the word covetousness means to be thirsty, to be thirsty. So, do you know why we don't drink salt water? We've got a lot of it, by the way. Like 80% of the planet covered by salt water. Why don't we drink salt water? Can, can, first of all, number one, can you drink salt water? Yes, you can. If you've never been surfing, you, you don't know. But you can drink a lot of salt water, in fact. But it's not good for you. 
Now, if it goes down, it goes down. Now, we don't drink salt water because it tastes nasty. We also don't drink salt water because it doesn't quench. In fact, if you drink salt water, it does the exact opposite. See, there's a chemical process that takes place. Is if you take salt water in, then what your cells do is they take the salt and they replace the water in each one of your cells with salt so that each one of your cells ceases to have water. And if you cease to have water, well, you die. So you become nothing but this big salt block and you excrete all the water. That's why you can't drink salt water. It, it will not quench your thirst. Covetousness literally means to thirst. It's like drinking salt water. And a guy who had a lot of stuff said the, almost the exact same thing. Whoever loves money never has enough. Do you love money? I can tell you that it'll never be enough for you. It'll never be enough. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with their income, you'll never get enough of it. It's like drinking salt water. The more you take, the thirsty you get. The more you take, to, to quench your thirst, right? Why, why are you after this stuff? Well, you're seeking what it can get you. I, I want what money can, I want what material things can, who wouldn't want that, right? Well, listen, if that's where your heart is, you'll never be satisfied. Only God gives life that satisfies Again, it's not about the amount that you have. It's how you feel about the amount that you have. you got very wealthy people in the Bible, by the way. Uh, one of those guys right here, Solomon, the guy writing this very book, he inherited literally billions from his dad, uh, King David, who was also extremely wealthy. But he wasn't distracted by Now, Solomon was distracted by other things. His dad was too. But it wasn't their wealth. Uh, uh, Abraham, you familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah? And we've watched too many television stories about these guys, but we have this mindset possibly, maybe you don't, but I've had to struggle through this. We have this mindset, this two little old couple that have this child when he's 100 and she's 90 years old, and you know we feel sorry for them because like, holy cow, what do you do with a kid when you're that old? But we have this picture that it's just them, a couple other tents, 10, 15, 20 sheep, a couple of camels living in the middle of the wilderness somewhere. Not true. This guy was loaded. Let me tell you how loaded he was. So there was an incident that takes place in the promised land while Abraham's camped out there. And he has to confront it with physical force. And it says in the Bible that out of those who were men who were born in his household, so not people that he hired and not people who were his slaves who he bought, but people among those who he had hired and who he had bought who had children, male children, and had grown up within his entourage, he, he got a force together over 150 men and armed them all, and they went off after this, uh, this war party. Out of the people born in his household. So how many people did he not have born who were also part of his household? And how many people did he have to have? And how many girls were born among them? And how many wives did they have? And then in addition to that, because it says that the land couldn't even bear, I'm talking about the land of Israel, couldn't bear the number of sheep and camels and goats and donkeys and goldfish and everything else that he had. Because, I mean, we're talking about a a land flowing with milk and honey. How big was this guy? Huge. Thousands in his entourage. Tens of thousands of animals in his flocks and herds. Loaded. Absolutely loaded, but was not distracted by his stuff. How'd he do it? How'd he do it? His heart was, was different. Again, it's not about what you have. It's about what you feel about what you have. That's the issue. 
That's where the problem is or where the solution is. Only God gives the life that we're searching for in this stuff. that we all, Otherwise, you're just going to get thirstier. Only God gives the life that we're looking for. Notice Jesus says this, Bill. Whoever drinks this water that I will give them will never thirst. That's, that's an, a very unusual water. Everything else, hear me, is salt water. It really is. Even our fresh water is salt water because you're going to have to do it again. Jesus says, you drink of this water, you will never thirst. Indeed, he says, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Only Jesus gives. What are you looking for in your pursuit of wealth? What are you after? What kind of void are you trying to fill? Listen, it's just like drinking salt water. You'll never have enough of it. Only Jesus gives what you're actually looking for. So Jesus tells now we're ready this sobering parable here in verses uh, 16 through 21. And he told them a parable. He's, this guy's still standing there saying, divide the wealth with my brother, right? A certain landowner, a rich man, was the land was, I'm sorry, a land of a certain rich man was very productive. Now, by the way, first of all, is there anything wrong with that? Anything wrong? Is there anything wrong with making more money than you did last year? How about making a ton more money than you did last year? How about making in millions more than you last year? Nothing wrong with that. So, 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 so who's, who has charge? This guy's a farmer, right? Who has charge of the sun? Who God does. Who has charge of the rain? We got some farmers here. I mean, what, you know, nobody a farmer, like a farmer that knows how dependent they are upon, or they should know how dependent they are upon God. This guy, as we're going to see, is going to miss it. Uh, who's in charge of the sun? God is. Who's in charge of the rain? The productivity of the soil. Who's in charge of the happenstance, even though there's no chances with God, right? But we consider it change. You know, just by chance, things just happen to turn out well. Who's in charge of all those things? God is. So, so who brought this blessing upon this guy? Easy solution. So, so this isn't bad. This isn't wrong. So, so the, guy's, the guy's got a huge blessing. Nothing wrong with that. It's what he does with it. Again, it's not what you have. It's how you feel about what you have. Verse 17, he began reasoning to himself. Oh boy, here we go. Did you notice something, ladies? Where's his wife in this? So, I don't know how it is with you gentlemen, but if we got a big windfall and I didn't have a conversation with my wife about it, the parable would not end well, let's just say that. <laughs> Where's his wife in this? He, begins, he just has a conversation with himself. He's all self-focused. He's like a miser. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he says, this is what I will do. I will tear down my builds of storage unit. It's the only storage unit I'm aware of in the scriptures. Down, tells down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, not to his wife, not to his friends, not to his pastor, and certainly not to God. I will say to my soul, you have many good la goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease Eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. Now, who will own what you've prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Wow. Man was very productive. Nothing wrong with that, right? So, so God's blessing him. God's, God's given him. But this guy, uh, one, one of the... Biggest test in life is money, stuff. 
We got some young people here, so you're going to date and marry somebody someday, right? So I'm going to give you a piece of advice. If you can do this, before you marry them, give them a million dollars and wait one year. You want, you want a real test? Is, is he a good guy? Give him a million bucks, see what he's like in a year, and then you'll know whether you can marry him. By the way, that'll be the best million dollars you've ever spent. Because if he turns out to be like this guy, <laughs> you don't want to marry him. You want a real test of what's going on in our hearts? Bless somebody. Just bring a windfall. Give them a million bucks. You want to really know what they're like? Anybody, you, you want, you'll find out what they're really like right there. Give them a bunch of stuff. Give them a bunch of stuff, and you're going to find out what they're really about. This guy gets a windfall, and by the way, it's all blessings from God. God did not create the greed in his heart, but it was already there. The riches just simply brought it out. See, the problem is not the money. Money's inanimate. It's not coming looking for you. The problem is your heart. That's where the issue is. That's what he's saying to this guy. He's coming and saying, listen, divide, make my brother divide my stuff with me. Your, your heart is a problem. Even if I gave you the answer, which I'm not, it wouldn't help you. In fact, it's just going to make you thirstier. It's going to make you worse. So, 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 so he tells them these things, and there's, there's, I want to give us three principles that we can glean from this. Number one principle, when our heart focuses on ourselves, we do not give credit to God for what he's done. When our, heart is not fo- when our heart is focused on ourselves, we do not give credit to God for what he's done. Notice there's no thank you God in this. There's no heart searching, God, I need to make sure that I tie this. I need to make sure that I come before you. God, everything is from you. You control the sun. You control the, the soil. You control the rain. God, obviously, you have blessed me. Where's the acknowledgement of God? We, we've been looking at Romans chapter 1, right, where, where it shows there in verse 22. They, even though they knew God, they did not acknowledge God or give thanks, but they came, became futile in their speculations. Here's a great example of it. How futile is this guy? I will consult with my own soul. Where's his wife in that? Where's God in that? That's futility, man. How futile is it to have all that and build a storage unit to store it all in and then, boom, you're dead? Very futile. They became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart became darkened, professing to be wise. He sounds wise, doesn't he? One of the scariest things about this story is, is that most of our society calls him successful. Apart from the end of the story, right? Apart from the end of the story, we say, I would like to be like him. Really? Not like his heart, I guarantee you that. Even though God controls all the factors, he, he, he can't seem to thank God, he can't seem to bring God in the equation. There is, in this conversation he has with himself, six eyes. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Five mys, it's my stuff, I'm going to build my things, and I'll have say to my soul, nothing but self-focus. He lived in the singular. I will say to my soul, is as a result of all this, like I said, he just builds this storage unit, that's all he does. He never gets to experience any of the benefits of it. When our hearts are focused on ourselves, we do not give God the credit that, that is his. When our focus, hearts are focused on ourselves, we make plans to leave God out. You've seen it, right? A windfall happens in someone's life. They, they, were, they were good folks. They got along with everybody. They were faithful in church. They, they, they had good relationships in their marriage, in their, in their family, and then a big windfall happens, and now uh, you don't see them in church anymore. Now they're suing each other. Now they're divorced, right? What's wrong? Is money evil? No. Hearts are. 
One of the worst things that can happen to us sometimes is a windfall, just like that. And we move ahead as if God does not exist. Now, here's what James' comment on that very thing. James chapter 4. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year, buy and sell and make a profit. Notice, now this is a, sort of a different commentary. You say, well, there's no windfall here. There's just opportunity. So that, that's, my windfall happened before. Now it's showing how I operate in my life. So I, I, I have enough where I don't have to get on my knees every day and say, God, if you don't give me bread, I'm going to starve. I'm better off now, and so now I can not only take the bread with me, I can go to other places. But notice, as soon as I get enough stuff, God's not in the equation anymore. Sad. Sad. Say, such and such a city, and spend a year and buy and sell, whereas you do not know what you will happen to you tomorrow. Same story. I know you get sick of preachers like my friend and I saying almost every Sunday, Tomorrow's not promised to you, brother. But it ain't. It just isn't. It's really not. For what is your life? It's even a vapor. I was looking at my coffee this morning, drinking my coffee. There was just a vapor rising. I was like, that's, that's your life, Bill? Yeah. That's all. Pretty sobering. That's all it is. It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, again, acknowledging God, thanking God, recognizing God in what He gives me. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. That's the story, right? All such boasting is evil. When, we, when our hearts are focused on ourselves, we make plans to leave God out. When our hearts are focused on ourselves, final point we store up treasure in wrong places Jesus comments on this Matthew 6 put it in the wrong place do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth there's a place to store treasure there is you can send it ahead where moth and rust destroy inevitably and where these break in and steal and where you die and leave it but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where, neither, where thieves do not break in. And so there is a place, there is a storage unit to build, but it's not here. Find a way to invest in eternity, eternal things, the souls of men, the word of God. These things do not pass away. Invest in these things. Manage your money wisely. Make more money, great. But take it before God and say, God, how? Can I make this stuff last? He's given, he's given you the answers. When our hearts are focused on ourselves, we store our treasures in wrong places. The fool, the, the word here for fool, is not a description of a mental ability. It's actually foolishness can be conditioned of whether you're smart or not so smart. Foolishness in the scriptures is described this way. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now you would never say that, right? Never with your mouth, because your mama would wash it out for you. I know mine would. And you, you may not get the words together cognitively in your mind, but here's the best way to know if you're a fool. You live as though God doesn't exist. Maybe you're in church every Sunday, but you live as though God doesn't exist. Maybe you pray and read your Bible, but you live when, when, when stuff comes your way, you, you make all the decisions. I will say to my soul, I'll do such and such. Really? Where's God in this? What's the difference whether I say it or whether I live it? 
That's what a fool is. It's not just the saying, it's the fact of living it. We don't act like all our, if we don't act like all our material possessions are from God, and we don't recognize our obligations to use them as He sees fit, we're fools. We really are. We really are. Riches have one major flaw. You know, we hear a lot about inflation. What is it? 8% or something like that? I'm going to tell you when you're going to experience 100% inflation in a single day. The day you die. 100%. It's going to go up 100% the second you breathe your last because the stuff that you have will have no more purchasing power. To leave 100% of it. So allow that consideration. We can send it ahead. We can invest in things that will outlast us. We can invest in the Word of God. We can invest in the souls of men. We can acknowledge God and say, God, how can I manage this according to your will and the direction you have for me? Yeah, God wants to bless us. He really does. But it's our hearts. It's not what He gives us. It's what we feel, how we feel about what He gives us. That's the determining factor. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about what Jesus has said to us this morning. Largest existential threat on the planet today, false teaching. Second, only second to that, is the distraction. The distraction of wealth. The distraction of greed. Heavenly Father, we ask you that you would examine our hearts today. That you would find in us anything that would be anywhere close to greed, God, and you would root it out. If we're not acknowledging you, if we're not thanking you, if we're not coming back to you when you've blessed us and saying, God, what, what do you want me to do with this? Not just the tithe belongs to you, God. All of it belongs to you. God, help us to be so careful, so untrusting of our own hearts, and so trusting of yours. Help us to hear these words, God, and may they sink deep within us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.